Hello and welcome to the latest podcast, Corporate as Company. Today we're joined by Kieran McCarthy of KMC Homes. Uh, Kieran is based in Photo Retail Park in Carrick Tool, specialising in architectural design, planning permission, project management, building and finishes, and basically a one-stop shop for anyone who's looking to start out in their dream home. Simple and stress-free as possible, I read on your website, Kieran. Yeah, that's that's our promise, and yeah. that's that's why we're here. Yeah, thanks um, for thanks for popping in. Delighted, delighted. Stuff. So a little bit more about you, Kieran. We're going to give you an intro. We don't need a um, "This Is Your Life" music, Jay. Over this one, Kieran would be fine. But columnist on the Irish Examiner and co-star of the RT show Cheap Irish Homes, alongside Maggie Malloy. My first question, I suppose, Kieran, is: Does anyone ever buy, or is it like home in the sun, where the, you know the couple are still searching for their dream home? Uh, certainly I know a few have bought um, they haven't always bought the houses we show them I suppose because if you think of someone looking to buy a house they might look at a you know 10, 12 houses and choose one mm. whereas we show them three houses of what we think we hope they'd like you know and we do our best around that mm. so uh, I know we have had one or two success stories um, and they, have, they haven't been publicly released yet but uh, there are there is some success there thank God yeah, right. yeah. More, from, more than home in the sun so uh, originally from East Cork you recently took the, the trip west what made you made a mad decision like that uh, yeah, so I, I grew up, uh, like you, James, in, in, in Middleton, and um, I uh, I ended up settling in, in Cork for until quite recently in Black Rock and Cork. And we bought a house uh, in just outside Ross Carberry, um, which was supposed to be kind of a summer house, retirement house, kind of future dream, God knows what. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had only just gotten the keys a few months before the first lockdown, and uh, when we heard the lockdown was coming, we thought, sure, look, why don't we move to the, the cottage down by the sea for a bit of crack? Yeah. And sure, the lockdown was supposed to be six weeks. We thought, look, it was a little mini holiday, God knows what. Uh, so we moved in um, that night at midnight before the lockdown the next day. And uh, sure enough, six months later, we were still there. Um, no, we, we kind of headed into that summer. And if you remember the, the first lockdown, um, when we were all baking banana bread and whatever, yeah. um, sure, the summer was great. I mean, even March was great when the, the lockdown started. Um Summer was great and we were thinking, geez, here we are in West Cork, near the sea, um, in a little cottage, and which is a small bit of land. We thought, you know, it's either what's the big attraction with living in Cork City? And we thought, sure, why don't we, you know, renovate this cottage and, and move down? Um, I suppose Zoom calls and all these things were starting at the time. So the whole work-life balancing was changing and, you know, people were kind of working from home a little bit. Um, and my wife's a teacher and she was thinking of changing where she was teaching uh, and doing a bit of subbing and that kind of thing. And my two kids were kind of sixth class and first year. So we had an opportunity to really yeah. move move, uh, move the whole tent. Sure. Uh, so, and my, my wife's family, both her, both her parents are from West Cork and my dad's family are originally from West Cork going back a generation. So, yeah, we made the move from east to west. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, I was, obviously being a, a proud East Cork man myself, I, I kind of, I wonder, like... A lot of this, and again, I have to go through this every podcast, what we try and do here is just kind of water down a little bit of the industry, be it obviously today it's going to be your industry. But we just try and make it accessible to everybody um, and understand it. But for me, it's also a little bit about promoting East Cork because obviously I'm from East Cork and that's where my business is. Uh, pros, because you have, and this is why you were an ideal guest for me, because you've lived in East Cork, you were born and raised in East Cork, same as myself, uh, and moved to the West. What are the pros for West and East? Because I know you're a keen surfer now. 
Uh, well, I, I surfed many times in, in Inch in yeah. East Cork as well. Um, Is there better waves in the West? A little bit better yeah. on a on a small day that you tend to get another foot yeah. of uh, you probably get another six inches to a foot down down in West Cork because it's just a bit more exposed. Mm. Um, in terms of access to Cork City, East Cork's way easier yeah. because you have pretty much motorway between Middleton Cork. Um, and I suppose it's it, Middleton is a great place to do business and it's a booming town as is Carry Tools coming on very well now as mm-hmm. well um, because of their connectivity to Cork the connective like down in Ross Carberry I've to when I drive to Cork like I did this morning I have to drive through uh, Clonakilty and then Bandon mm-hmm. then Inishannon none of which are bypassed really well Bandon has a bypass so to speak uh, so it, it's a bit of a trek in the morning. Um, so I, I tend to kind of travel up three days rather than rather than five. Mm. Um, I work from home Mondays and Fridays and whatever. But uh, so it was definitely easier for me when I was working in Cork and um, the, the living in Cork and living in Middleton. Um, mm. Middleton's a great place to do business, and I must say. Yeah. Um, and we still do all the banking and everything down in Middleton. So. Uh, and my parents are on there, so I yeah. go home whenever I can. Oh, you know, stuff. Um, so you qualified as a civil engineer in UCC, and you started KMC Homes in two thousand three. What drove you to open your own company? Um, yeah, so I graduated in ninety six from UCC civil engineering. I left that out. No, I didn't want to put in. I didn't want to show your age. But I didn't put in ninety six. I knew it was ninety six. Uh, but look, I'm forty nine next month. So Jeez, you don't I'll, look a I'll, day I'll throw forty. It out there. Um, so yeah, I graduated in 96 um, and I worked for kind of big building companies. Like, So I did civil engineering. I didn't really, never really wanted to work in a design office. I wanted to work on site kind of in the project management end of it and the building end of it. So I worked for big companies like Hegarys and Sisks and what have you um, up till about 2003. And I was kind of, yeah, I suppose the kind of an entrepreneur side of it then started to open up and I kind of wanted to do, see if I could do it myself. So I started building uh, late 2003, so nearly 20 years now at the end of this year. Um, I just kind of wanted to do it my own way and I felt I could offer something a little bit different to the market. I always liked the um, the more architectural end of building, so less interested in uh, kind of infrastructure and civil engineering or whatever, even though I've worked in that area. I liked the architectural end of building and then I realised I liked the kind of domestic architectural end of building, which kind of leads you to the one-off house mm. Uh, end of the market so that was like I love that l- level of detailed design and kind of building out architecture uh, so I suppose that's what brought me into uh, kind of building it under my own name that's what we kind of specialised in And what advice would you give to anyone thinking of getting into the, that line of business? Um well, for me, it was a hard. It was hard to get into because, like most people, will be a tradesperson. Usually, a carpenter will go mm-hmm. into house building because he'll have a lot of those. He'll have a lot of the skills already um, from from a carpentry trade and a lot of the knowledge. I went into it from an engineering trade, which means I, which meant I had to go, I had to really kind of learn the kind of grassroots um, end of it, like the the real nuts and bolts of the end of it to kind of get going on because you're starting with nothing. Mm. Um, you, like you start with zero employees and then I took on a carpenter and I took on a labourer and I took on a bookkeeper and I kind of built it up a bit from there. But it would have been easier for me initially starting as a tradesperson. Um, now, I suppose once the company gets to a certain size, it's it's a little bit easier being an engineer because you're more used to stepping back a bit yeah. and you have to at that stage. Um, so uh, what advice would I have? It, it is very hard, but but you really do have to step back. I mean, I see a lot of builders who are brilliant at the trade aspect and they can step back and some of them find it very hard because they're all day with the hammer and the the, the saw and everything else and they mightn't see some of the difficulties back in the office or back in the accounting or in the quantity surveying element of it 
and uh, and they can struggle and they they work morning, noon, and night um, trying to keep things going and. Um, and it can be very difficult. So definitely stepping back and delegating is, is something that I didn't learn day one either, I might add, but uh, I, I learned it eventually. That is really Being key to it. Being a one-stop shop, like that's, that's tough going. Like getting from, like, you know, if you're going from the planning, the design, the planning, the management, the finishes, that's, it's a lot. Like, so it is important to not work in it as opposed to work on it. I yeah, suppose. well, we're a little bit different. Like, most house builders and nearly all house builders specialise in the building of the house. We do a full design and build package, I suppose, given that I'm an engineer and project manager, whatever you. So rather than just building a house, which means if Mrs. Murphy's getting a, she has a site, she has to go off and she's got to get an architect, um, an engineer, maybe a QS and get her planning permission. And then when she has all the, the construction drawings done, then she's looking for a builder. Mm. In our situation, Mrs. Murphy can come to us and go, look, I have a site. I have a budget of 400,000. I want to build my dream home. Where do I start? And we can take it. Every, we can take her through the full process. So we can bring an architect to the table, the engineer, the QS. We can bring the full um, building team. So we take her from architectural design uh, to her budget, make sure it's all aligned to her budget, get her planning permission, and then um, build the house uh, for for the, the, the within the budget and a, and a guaranteed fixed time scale and, and everything else. So it's a full process. Um, it is hard. Like it means you have you. All you have all the responsibility, or ninety percent of responsibility. Uh, so, but for me, I always liked more responsibility and more control because, mm. um, it, it, like, when you're just a builder, you have a little less responsibility, but you have a lot less control. And I found that very hard to deal with because you were always the projects were always finishing a little bit late. There was always extras, and I f- I never liked. For me, I never liked uh, the client journey that that was handing over because I felt clients were kind of poorly served from a customer service point of view and I didn't like that. So we take full control. um, We manage the whole process. um, But it means we have full responsibility as well um, to keep a project on time, on budget. Um, It is hard, but it means we can kind of guarantee results. um, And uh, we're fairly unique in offering that service. That's very good. That's a pretty comprehensive service like from start to finish. Yeah. Um, he's impressive. Be interested in that myself. Got a project coming up. Karen, you're gonna we're gonna have to have words. All afterwards. right, okay. Um, your Instagram page is fantastic, and you have a really loyal following. Um, with the RTE and the Examiner, you've been a columnist. Do you see the benefits of uh, from being in the public eye so much? And do you feel it's now essential for companies to be more visual? Uh, yeah, I suppose. Look, I I have spent a lot of time on social media and particularly YouTube and what have you, and looking at the way um, companies are portrayed in the, the US, where you have people like um, Gary Vaynerchuk and what have you, who are all about um, being thought leaders in mm. their industry. In his case, it's marketing, or what have you. But um, but being thought leaders in their industry, um, and uh, I, I just I, I think it's good to like people. Some of the best companies in the world, like um, like Ryanair, like uh, like Apple, um, like Virgin, what have you. You always know who the the boss man is, and they're a thought leader, and you you know their personality, and you know that if you kind of resonate with their personality, you'll probably like the company. Mm. So I thought, like, why couldn't? It, no, it wasn't something that I was naturally born with the gift to do either. It took a lot of <laughs> practice and uh, experience to kind of get it out of me. Um, but uh, I, I, I know that I'm kind of used to it. I think it's great for people to know what you're about. And if you have insights into a certain, like in my case, obviously it's engineering and building, whatever you and design, 
But if you have ideas and insights, you'd be surprised. Like I thought no one would have an interest in what mm. I had to say day one. And you're surprised. You, you will find an audience and, uh, audience and you will learn from your audience and you will be better by listening to feedback from your audience and the questions they have. Mm. So uh, I, my Instagram, I've really only properly done in about the last six months. And it, yeah, it has grown a huge amount mm. by about 10,000 in the last six months. And I really enjoy it now. I love the Q&A. Um, I just I think construction as an industry, it, it it's it's very closed and it's really a business to business industry. And the consumer is expecting a business consumer when they're building a house mm-hmm. or renovating a house. And that doesn't really exist because um, because builders are used to dealing with architects and architects used to dealing with engineers and builders. So it's quite a closed shop. Yeah. And uh, I just like to have a nice interface for, for customers. That's why we offer design and build uh, on a day to day. And that's why I like interacting with with, um, with just my following my followers and whatever on Instagram and answering their questions because mm. sometimes they can be at a real full stop with their project, not knowing where to uh, where to go next. And a simple question or an answer for me or whatever can really mm. s- set them um, set them going. Like we a question today, this lady was doing a deep retrofit of her house and she was so she was you know, taking the whole house apart and taking putting on new insulation and taking up the floors and the whole shebang. And she said, my husband wants to go for underfloor heating for the heat pump that we're fitting. And I just think, is that crazy? And I'm going, well, and she asked me, look, is it a good thing or not? And I said, but you're taking the whole house apart. It's a negligible cost because you're putting in a new concrete floor anyway. Mm-hmm. And plumbers don't really charge a premium for rads versus underfloor heating because it's more or less the same. Right, okay. you know, there might be a few hundred in it or yeah. 500 maximum, six, seven hundred. Uh, so, but I mean, the benefit of having no red so you can put your furniture whenever you want, yeah. wherever you want, is, is huge. And she said, thank God, thank you for answering that because I couldn't get the answer anywhere else and now I can proceed with my project. But is underfloor yeah. heating, no, like, my, like mom, my mother's house no years ago, it used to be, you know, you'd have to turn it on the night before to get it heated in the morning or whatever. They're a lot more conductive, friendly now, I presume, in relation to like, are they quicker to come on and heat up? Because the majority uh, of the new builds have them now on the ground floor. Okay, so the, the answer to that question is, are they quicker to come on? The answer is no, mm. funnily enough, right? But you see, if you, have a, if you have a heating system where you walk into the house, geez, it's freezing, I need to crank up the heating, mm. and then you, you, hit, you hit the switch in the wall and the rads power up and you go, fantastic, now I'm warm again. Yeah. That sounds great, but you, you shouldn't need that service. You should walk into the room and go, this is the kind of temperature I need. Fine, I don't have to touch anything. So... And we had this even 10 years ago, like where you had thermostatically controlled rad valves and kind of thermostatically controlled heating system where the you could you could set your daytime temperature and your nighttime temperature and whatever. So you might have a daytime temperature at um, 19 and your nighttime at 17 or something yeah. so that you can sleep better at night with a cooler environment or whatever. But um, so that's a reasonably responsive system. But like um, underfloor heating is a slow responding system so as you say you would have that difficulty and air to water is is also a slow responding system and, and a lower temperature system so um, what you do now is you'd have you, you'd, you'd have shall we say air to water in an underfloor heating system so it's very slowly responsive but it has a it has a climate control reader on the outside so if the temperature starts dipping out, outside in the atmosphere um, it primes oh. for the um, the air to water system to come on a little bit earlier so that you won't be suddenly finding it's freezing inside yeah, and yeah. hoping the air to water system is going to come on. So it should be responsive to the atmosphere um, and to your day-to-day um, yeah. usage of the house rather than you having to come in and get a shock and suddenly be crying out for heating. Yeah. You know? Well, your your Instagram is brilliant and like you do an awful lot of Q&As and I, I tune into them. Like, I think you recently did one on... You're there, you're doing it on Windows, weren't you? 
Yeah, and yeah. tonight we're going to do one on uh, insulation. Insulation, yeah. Good one. yeah. Um, but what is the best thing, in your opinion, that someone could do to improve, like on a small budget? So if they just kind of you're you're living in a in a three bedroom semi built in two thousand and six, and they're looking to do you know upgrades, they might have small enough budget. Well, the tiniest budget you'll have, and the tiny the 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 quickest money you will spend is like have you drafts in your house mm. because like the, the, we can all talk about putting insulation but insulation is very invasive mm. and it's a big ticket um, item it's thousands uh, no matter what direction you go in it um, but like if you have uh, uh, cracks and gaps in your masonry and you've you've air you, you can feel a draft coming through here and there that is just that's money being poured out through that draft every day you've drafts coming in so that means your heat is going out know. So if you can seal up those drafts, you can buy air tightness tape very cheaply. Um, you know, several euros or maybe 10, 15 euros um, in a hardware store. You can get um, the, the the very simple sealants around windows, the, the self-adhesive sealants. You can mm-hmm. get them in, in hardware stores again. So are, is there drafts around your windows? Are all the windows closing properly? Is there doors closing properly? Is there gaps in masonry? Is there g- g- gaps up on your eaves and what have you? Mm-hmm. Now, the attic needs to be ventilated because um, you, you need to ventilate the roof timbers. But yeah. Yeah. Inside your house, you um, and okay, any major air vents are there for a reason. But if you have a crack, that's not there for any reason. Knowing there's a crack on the on the wall, uh, if you can seal up those, that's not going to cost much, and it, you could you could save an awful lot of money very quickly there. You know. Okay, good one. Windows, like changing windows. I see that the <clears throat> the new ones now are kind of what are they? They can they can put a film over the windows or something. Like, are they? Is it better off just changing your windows, or are these kind of like are they cost effective to do these? Yeah, I, I am. I, I'm not over familiar with the film on the windows, but like it really see it kind of depends on your budget because like if you have next to no budget, there's no point changing your windows because you can't afford to do it. Mm. If you're doing a deep retrofit and the windows were fitted in 2000, even though they might be double glazed, mm. right? The double glazed windows of 2000 aren't going to be half no. as good as the A-rated double glazed that you, you have today. So if you're doing a deep retrofit and their windows are fitted in the 90s or in the early noughties, you're going to be changing them, right? Even though it's only 20 years ago and they look fine, the, the, the U-value is probably poor. Uh, are probably not great when you're spending, you know, 80 grand for a deep retrofit and everything that goes with it. Yeah. So it depends on the context, really. Like, a lot of people ask about double and triple glazed. Oh, should I rip out all my double glaze and put in triple glaze. Mm. Um, talking to BR says a lot as I, as I do, like uh, if you have double glaze windows that were fit in the last 10 years, it's probably not the first expense you'd, you'd spend. Like you could be better off getting a new condensing um, boiler. Uh, boiler. I mm. mean, that, that could be one of the first things you do. And that, you, you could be going from, a, from an efficiency of 70% up to 96% right. straight away on that. Um, so there, there, there could be other low-hanging fruit. Everyone looks at the windows and, and, and they're, they're conscious of that. Um, but uh, but like the the idea of then of going to double to triple, there are advantages to triple, particularly with things like road noise and what have you. If you live near a busy road, or on a southern elevation, it protects against excess solar gain. On a northern elevation, it it, it pretends protects against excess um, heat loss. But on an east or west, there isn't a massive improvement okay. from double glaze, so it isn't an automatic box Sorry, box tick reading. Somebody one day was saying to me that they wanted to put the rear of the property in double because it doesn't get an awful lot of wind and triple to the front because it does. But I, I don't think that there's an actual massive cost saving 
Uh, not a huge no. Um, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference for wind. It's more for 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 um, for sound really, and for um, it does improve the U values, no doubt mm. about. But the other thing is like what BR assessors will tell you is like everyone gets fixated with, by the windows because obviously it's something you're very conscious of. You're looking out and everything else, but. Mm. But like the square area of your windows compared to the square area of all the walls of your house, it isn't a phenomenal percentage. Like, and um, mm. we're very concerned with it, but um, because they're very high profile, but it's not a phenomenal percentage. So it doesn't make a colossal difference to be the, to to move the needle on your BER. So okay. you need to have a look at all these measures, be it your boiler, the windows, the insulation, airtight, and all that, and the ventilation. Of course, no, you need to have a look at all those in the context. You put it all together and hand it to your BER assessor, and then he'll put it into the deep calculation and tell you what, what, what difference it'll make. So, And I must say, BR assessors are a very underused resource mm. and they can be a wealth of information for, for a very reasonable um, outlet. Very reasonable. Like, I mean, the guts of 250 plus or whatever, you can get somebody to come in and tell you that boiler and block up that chimney and you're up to this. And yeah. like, it actually really improved the, the energy yeah. rating of your property. So, 100%, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, Dormit Bannon has been a pain in my side, Kieran, for a very long time. Because whenever I look at a property, Rob is like, what would Dormit do here now? We put on a modern box out the back and all that. Do a lot of people come in with high hopes and low budgets to you? Uh, do you know, like when Room... Okay, before Room to Improve came out, the answer to that would be, yeah, their expectations were less, but their budgets were even less. Mm. I think with Room to Improve, and look, there's a lot of big budgets in that, let's face it, but... Um, with with room to improve, a lot of people became uh, much more familiar with the potential of their three bed semi house or four bed detached or God knows whatever. Um, they became there was a lot more. They they see a lot more potential for their house, and there is a lot of potential for these houses. Um, but uh, and the budgets, the budget expectations grew with that as well. So people used to be asking us for extensions back in the day when we did extensions. And people used to be asking us, you know, we've a hundred thousand for extension, whereas up to the, before that was like fifty thousand for extension, and you won't, you, I mean, you won't get much of an extension. Let's face it, for fifty thousand, no. uh, even back then. So uh, it definitely grew with room to improve, um, but but like the extensions now are are way more complex, and it isn't always the extension that costs the money. A lot, a third of the cost can be actually knocking down walls and putting in steel mm. beams into the existing house. Uh, to create this, the spatial flow out into the extension. Um, like the important thing to know about extensions is like in the olden days when we were growing up, you'd often, you, you'd see your grandmother's house, your parents' house and there was a little extension bolted onto the side of the house yeah. and, you know, the drop beam and the whole lot. A lot of them were of limited value because all it was was a commodity of square footage clung to the side of the house. Mm. But what you've got to remember is like and a house should always be designed from the inside out and the centre of your house really is your kitchen. Mm. So the extension, you know, when you're adding space, you've got to think, if I'm adding an extension to the back, what does that mean to my kitchen? Does that mean I lose light in my kitchen? Does that mean parts of my kitchen, I can't get around this area, you know, they're a bit tighter because the extension is kind of taking up all that space. So mm-hmm. you really need to to design from the inside out and get a nice flow back out into the extension. Rather than in the old days, they just clung the extension yeah. to the side and go, now I have extra space, you know, yes. because the, the, a lot of times the house design itself can suffer for the extension and mm-hmm. you you haven't added any value, although you have added cost to it, you know. Mm-hmm. What are like the current bill costs? I know they they shot up recently over the last couple of years. Look mainly due to Ukraine and supply demand. Mm. Um, but do you see the prices dropping any bit in the in the next twelve months? Uh, I see them leveling. Mm. Really, is the way I look at it. I mean. St- uh, timber has dropped um, in the last 
six months, four months even, timber has dropped. Um, I know that from talking to timber frame companies and what have you and merchants. Uh, steel has dropped. Um, a lot of uh, elements are kind of staying the same like insulation and, and what have you. Um, and PVC, I believe as well, and even quarried products, which were the last, um, the last elements to kind of to, to rise, they're beginning to level out as well. No, I know there was an increase there on the thirty on the in in March. Mm. Um, no, the the talk of the cement levy has yet to be kind of finalised, so that that could come in yet in the next few months. But uh, but I, I'd be cautiously optimistic. Now, uh, knowing what we know, um, that this year will it's going to be an awful lot less, if any, significant inflation this year. Um, that's okay. That's talking today's date. I mean, look in six months' time, things yeah. will be very different, and it all comes down to the war in Ukraine, um, and uh, and supply chains and all that. But the su- supply chains have improved a little bit. But look, we're going back to energy prices now. It's the next thing that's that's hitting us all. But I think you're right. Though. I think it's going to level, and it'll, that'll it become the new norm, be. then, won't it? It's uh, well, I don't think anyone quite knows the answer to that. I mean, they talk about the sticky inflation now. That is it all going to go back down? Mm-hmm. Some commodities have gone back down, and suppliers are passing that on. Builders, well, like like, like we're certainly passing it on. I, I imagine most builders will pass it on. Um, so it, if but it needs to come, it needs to drop at source so that everyone can pass it down. Um, so look, hopefully it we will. We were at that AIB meeting together, though. I mean, they, yep. they spoke about inflation, and it was an interesting uh, point that one of them made. And what that's going to happen in the next twelve to eighteen months? They reckon it's going to it's going to level and drop, and then steadily come back up again. So maybe the next eighteen months is kind of a good time to tackle those projects. Uh, yeah, I mean, like it, 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 people. People ask me sometimes, like you know, I'm thinking of doing a project. Should I do it? Uh, like, if you are, it, it, see, most people are doing a construction project. Like, they're not doing it for an investment point mm. of view, right? It's different in a commercial setting. But most individuals are doing it because their family are getting older, or they're about to have children, and you know, life circumstances change, or they want to downscale if they're you know later in life. And like, you don't have forever to make these decisions like because if you need the extra space for your children um, uh, you, like what choice do you have to stay living in a smaller house for the next five years and then mm-hmm. something else comes on I'm sure we can't do it now for another ten years next minute the kids are off in secondary yep. school or college or working as a trade or God 100%. knows and then, then you've missed the boat and you go geez, if I had my time back I would have done things yeah, differently yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, personally if you have the budget and you might say look this is this is turkey voting for christmas but uh, personally i think if you have the budget uh, i would do it because you don't get that time back you know i agree 100% even for ourselves similar like we're looking at it thinking in in 7 or 8 years time the kids are going to be gone to to college you know what I mean? yeah. with the help of god so therefore you just do it now and enjoy yeah. those 7 years and then they are the most precious correct. years of your life really um, what new trends do you see emerging in building? Like, I mean, is there a modular or more any other kind of innovative systems you're seeing coming down the track? Yeah, well, I mean, everyone is talking about modular. Um, what from what I've seen in construction is like there's been an awful lot of Betamax videos in construction, right? So, like, something comes out and everyone's talking about it, mm. and then two years later, nobody's talking about it. So, um, like, I. I generally let things move for a few years and go, um, right, this is actually being accepted by the market and this is the new norm. Um, I suppose what has happened, which we're all probably loosely aware of now, in the last five years is the the advent of, you know, massive increases in air tightness levels and um, 
ventilation systems, be it a kind of a, a demand control ventilation system, which is kind of a, a, a level of active ventilation system in your house, or a full heat recovery ventilation system, which every room has has active ventilation. That's quite a new thing, um, and it's a, it's a huge energy saver, albeit there's a bit of upfront cost. I suppose the massive thing that's come out uh, since the war in Ukraine and the rapidly escalating um, energy bills is the, the photovoltaic panels. They were always sitting there for years and I was kind of half thinking of getting into my own house and didn't because I knew the technology was rapidly improving mm. year on year. And now all of a sudden it's got, the, the, the technology has been there for 15, 20 years, but it's dramatically improving. Now all of a sudden everyone is getting them because, you know, for 5, 10, 15 grand, you can have a level of uh, photovoltaic on your roof, generate electricity in the summer you're generating all the electricity you need and more so you can send it back to the grid Great, or you can yeah. store it in your battery. In the winter, it's 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 um, it's probably having your ESB bill or maybe taking a third off it. So overall, uh, you should you should nearly be balancing the books at the end of the year. And of a course, long-term thing again, though, is like that 10, 10 It years. is a long-term yeah. payback, yeah. yeah. Um, now, there was grants to get it and there's, a, there's been a, they've improved that recently and they're, they're taking the VAT off the, uh, the, the the panels as well. So there's all that improvement. Mm. But it is a long term. Um, like, but when you we start looking, like the I suppose the idea there, and if you listen to Elon Musk, they say it as well, like uh, it, the idea is to get everything electrically driven. So like if you build a brand new house, now if we build a house for you in the morning, it has an air to water heat pump, right? So that's electrically driven and you're obviously driving heat from the air, but the, the input is electricity. Um, you've photovoltaic in the roof, so you're generating electricity. So you know, it, the, eventually, you you you'll be trying to balance the books with your electricity input. Um, so you've no fossil fuels mm-hmm. at all, and you're trying to reduce even the electricity that you're buying from the grid. Um, and then you could have an electric car as well. So the idea is to have the electricity that you're using as environmentally friendly in its creation process as 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 possible. Um, and then you, you've no emissions, you've no fossil fuels, and you'd hope that you're kind of generating as much electricity as you can. You know, mm. that's the hope. With the help of God. We um, kind of segued into it a little bit there, but with current building regs and schemes, they seem to be driving everyone towards new homes because of all the benefits you're speaking about in relation to air to water. Do you recommend that people still look at old homes? Or are they becoming a thing of the past now, or for kind of people with deep pockets? Uh, depends on the house and depends on the age. Like. Um, like some of the homes we look on on cheap Irish homes uh, could be very um, cost effective to buy because they mightn't be in a high demand area. Like mm. they might be in an area that isn't served by motorways and, you know, significant towns or whatever nearby. So the demand might be low. So the price might be low. But like we've seen some um, homes in the show that were renovated to today's standard and still, like there was one, you know, 120,000 euros and had external insulation on the outside. Mm. So like it had a very good energy rating. And all you really need to do is paint it and put in a new kitchen. So for 120,000 euros, now this is going back two years ago, but for 120,000 euros, you were getting a house that was pretty much in moving condition. Mm-hmm. And some of these houses have have had elderly people who lived in them and they had like a new bathroom put in um, because they were getting grants for the, 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 those kind of things. And um, they've, they've great facilities. So there are some gems in those areas. If you're buying a, you know, three or four thousand square foot old stone building and you want to start renovating it, that's a deep pocket and th- that you need and that there could be a lot of unknowns there. So it really depends on what you're buying um, and the, the budget you have and uh, and um, and the condition of it. But uh, generally, if you want a little bit of a safer move and you're buying an older house, 
try and get one that's built by block rather than stone. It's just it's easier to renovate concrete blocks. Yes. Um, and if you if you want an easier one again, try and get one that's built in the mid seventies onwards, which probably has a cavity between your outer block and your inner block, because that's the easiest to insulate on the outside. You can pump the cavities. Um, like a, a tradesman will be able to tell you that quite easily. Uh, so that, that they're quite simple to, they're, they're quite user friendly to, to renovate. I mean, you might even be able to manage one of those projects yourself because they're not all that complicated. Of course, there's all these grants for, for yeah. from SEI then for your, for your insulation and your air. And I think it's something that people really have to get their heads around because again, and I spoke about this in another podcast, when people go into um, a property these days and they see, you know, the kitchen needs to be done or the flooring needs to be changed or, and they walk away. And like these are relatively small things in the bigger scheme of, you know, as you're saying, the cost of doing all the insulation or I think we're getting caught up in the Instagram world and, you know, the easy fix and ready to move in. But the younger generation really need to look at the houses that we have on the market and think, right, look, a new kitchen, new flooring, maybe 10, 15 grand. It's not the end of the world in yeah. the bigger scheme. Yeah, I mean, they're very easy items. To, I mean, what I would tell most people like is if you know a, a, a carpenter, uh, a carpenter can be a great first mm. trade like um, to bring in because a carpenter will know a little bit about plumbing, a little bit about electrics. He'll know how to fit a kitchen clearly and he'll know how to do all the flooring. So a carpenter is a great trade to know um, because he'll know a little bit about everything and he mm. can demystify or fall in and manage the project for you or do a lot of the work himself. Um, so, uh, or look, any other trade as well, clearly. But knowing a tradesperson is a huge mm-hmm. kind of, uh, is a huge first step and really can get the project moving for you, you know. Now, what we do at the end of this is, and I know you're sick, this is a quick fire one, don't worry about it. They're just questions from the, um, our followers. You would have seen it on our post that we put up. So people send in a few questions and then we throw them out to you. You probably have heard all of these in your day anyway, so you won't be long getting through them. But Rian asked, Limecrete floors in a Georgian home, are they worth it? Limecrete floors. I'm not familiar with limecrete. I'm imagining it's a it's a an eco concrete. Yeah. Um, I I've I no experience of limecrete. Um, it, it's a little bit specialised. Now some engineers, um, I know would probably specialise it. In fact, if if that um that gentleman wants to to message me um on Instagram, I know someone that I could an engineer that I could line him up with just to get a little bit of technical advice because it is a specialised product. I haven't used it if they're yeah. Well, we'll send Rian on to you. We'll give you your details. You can get in contact. Sandra says, we're looking at a house and it is a large crack. Is subsidence or settlement? We don't know if it's subsidence or settlement and if is it solvable? And what is the difference? Uh, there's no difference between subsidence and settlement. Um, they they both mean the house is moving a little bit unevenly into the into the ground and um, because the foundations aren't doing quite what they should be. Mm. Um, what is the solution? Uh, well, first of all, what is causing it is what I'd be saying. I mean, is it a water main? Is it a sewer, um, an old clay sewer or whatever? You, um, or is it just the, the house wasn't particularly built day one and had and should have had a different type of foundation? There needs the, a bit of because the ground investigation. Yeah, so, but once you have the investigation done, then you need to re- repair the water main or put in the new sewer. Uh, and it may need you may need to stabilize the uh, the foundation locally, um, and that could be an underpinning exercise by a specialist mm. contractor. So it it, it it these things are always fixable mm. uh, as long as you have the appetite to. Now, you, if you're buying a second house, you might be getting a great deal on the house because many people won't have any interest in getting involved in that. So it, these things are always fixable. You know, would settlement would settlement then like be like 
I, my my view on settlement would be like you know you, like I saw a house in in Black Rock recently and it had a little bit of settlement there was a crack in it yeah we spoke to the builder and we spoke to the engineer and he said look it's just the house basically as you said just a little bit of movement but mm. those cracks will show but they're nothing major. Uh, well, see, there's loads of different cracks. Right. That's like saying, um, "Doctor, I have a pain in my tummy. Um, is there a, like, uh, am I going to, you know, am I seriously ill or not?" The doctor goes, "Well, I need to do a lot more investigation to see what's causing the pain in your tummy. Is it an appendicitis or is it something major?" Right. Um, so, like, there's a lot of things that can cause cracks. Like, you can call like plaster drying out too quickly can cause cracks. Um, uh, heating coming on too quickly can cause cracks, shrinkage. Mm. Um, settlement can cause cracks um, settlement I suppose you could argue that settlement is the house just sitting on its new foundations and mm-hmm. kind of getting used to them a little you could argue that's a little bit of settlement subsidence I suppose is a lot more is a much more of a local issue I suppose to, to be fair to your, your previous um, your previous question um, so a subsidence is kind of one local extreme settlement in one corner mm-hmm. Um a house will set a little bit a new house mm. um, in Black Rock most of the houses are old you will always get cracks in an old building yeah. because it's just old it wasn't built with modern steel beams and it probably wasn't built with steel at all so there's very little in the structure to actually resist tension so you'll always get a little bit of cracking and a lot of it's fine uh, if you see some kind of angry cracks under window um, jams and uh, window heads and whatever, that's yeah. where the trouble can start. Okay. And it, it's usually related to a sewer. Yeah. You know. All right. Okay. Um, Joan, zoned land. Oh, Jesus, zoned land. Why can't I qualify for a build in the country? Any advice if I'm not from the area? Uh, if you're not from the area, I think you'll struggle unless you have genuine, uh, unless you can really substantiate yeah. a very genuine link to the area. No. Um, or it might be that you're bringing in significant employment to the area, so kind of an economic future link. Uh, no, the zoning changes a lot um, area to area. So you might find out there's some kind of tourist um, that the local council is trying to gen- trying to promote a little bit of a tourist input so maybe you might be opening up some sort of tourist endeavour or so so you really need to get um, advice you could go to a planning consul- an architect or a planning consultant if you really want to stretch it out but um, it, it, it it's probably an uphill battle um, and so. yeah it, it I, I, is, I hate yeah. selling those those zone land because mm. you do get a lot of people that are genuinely interested in building a house there but unfortunately unless they're in need of housing and from the area yeah. the chances of them it, it's a real uphill battle. The one bit of advice I used to give to people was that if you can get the owner to give you a letter um, giving you permission to contact the council, your architect or your engineer can actually go and discuss with you if they have the letter and see if it's possible and more than likely, unfortunately, it will be yeah, a negative answer. The easiest way to find out is, again, if you have this letter, um, you can fill out what's called a supplementary application form, which is the planning form that you will have to fill out anyway so you fill that out, you can send it into the planner as an initial pre-planning mm-hmm. and they will come back and they will tell you whether they feel you qualify or not by way as, a, as an initial pre-planning, again, if you have that letter. Okay. Uh, last one. Looking for uh, a new middle-of-the-road price countertop. Uh, is concrete any good or should I stay clear of it? It's very good if you can get the right person to do it um, because you'll have to shutter. You have to create a mould first. To pour, I, I'm assuming this is polished concrete. So mm. you, have to, you have to shutter the whole worktop first, um, which means you've created a mould out of timber. You've got to pour the concrete. You've got to polish the concrete. You've got to strip the mould and then polish all the edges and whatever. So 
I wouldn't see it being a middle of the road no. price. Unless you're happy with a really rustic look, I wouldn't see it as being a middle of the road. I mean, the um, the the worktops that you can buy, the, the synthetic worktops you can buy. Um, They're very good these days, aren't they? I I, 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 I I can't see a value because if you if you move beyond those you're going straight into the polished concrete yeah. or the, the granite and stone and everything else but those those worktops are excellent and they're only a few hundred euros yeah. I mean if you're going for stone you're going a few thousand euros so yeah. you're you're going up and um, they can do them though in different styles like oh, they're, the, they're yeah they're, sorry laminate worktops is, is the, the name I was trying to think of it they are Excellent. In fact, most synthetic products now are really good. I mean, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, back kind of towards the Celtic Tiger, a lot of these were kind of cheap and nasty. But even things like floors, you put down a floor now, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, um, the idea of a laminate floor was cheap and nasty. Mm. You might put it in your office, that's it. Um, nowadays, they are brilliant. They are bulletproof. Half yeah. of them are waterproof, yeah. right? You can scratch them. Even the, the, the high-end vinyl floors now... They're, they're, so the, the laminates are cheaper to buy, cheaper to lay, and there's no maintenance, and they last forever. I mean, I we renovated our house two years ago, and we put laminate in, and I promote it to 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 most clients. Um, I think it's an excellent product. Again, a lot of these synthetic products now are really, really good, and like I wouldn't go beyond. I that. I think the one we have in our house is there since two thousand and six, and like we can put anything on it. Yeah, pots, boiling, you know, anything you want, and it yep. will not stain that. Whereas. I know people who have these really expensive worktops and yep. if you spill your glass of wine it's going to stain mm-hmm. it or you you know you've got to protect it yep. no That's way what you're buying I'm with you yep. I'm, I'm, yep. I'm down the that route of the uh, middle of the road oh there's one more here uh, Owen said are you available in the next three to six months or like most of you booked up for 12 months like how much is there a waiting list for you now uh, yeah well you see like when we start we don't start building for um, several months obviously when, when someone meets it because the, the initial stages are the um, the design and then the planning mm-hmm. permission and then uh, then the, you know there's, there's a lot of more design work beyond that even again so when we start work with someone it's usually about nine months before you're actually on site assuming you get through planning first time you don't have further information so we would generally be taking on new clients at a regular basis um before, uh, because it, all it is is a series of meetings to begin with, you know, and lining up architects and engineers. But and is, that the, is that the process, the only process that you'll take, that it's somebody who comes to you yeah. and says, look, I want to go through this process start to finish? Yeah. You don't take it on halfway if somebody says, I have planning and I want to build a house? Yeah, we, we do. We call, we call that a kind of a hybrid design and build where some people have planning and they go, look, I don't want to be going off um, having a separate architect and a separate engineer and separate builders and then I'm kind of project managing the whole thing and then there's still problems and no one knows when the project's going to be finished because the things are changing the whole time and the costs are moving up and the whole mm. So, um, So we do occasionally, we have a project down in Cloyne starting off, it started off last week where that was the case. We took the project halfway through and we possibly have another one coming up as well. Um, but there's a lot of work there because there's been no budget work done. Mm. We ha- clients have plans and they they have a budget aspiration, and like we're we're straight awake then. Look, you're probably a hundred grand or mm. hundred and fifty grand above that as you are, and then there's a big shock. Yeah. So we have to start jumping in, then rolling up the sleeves and trying to kind of align their drawings to their budget. Once we have it at that stage, then clearly we we can we can go on to the next stage. Like I mean, just taking it back slightly. Like what we do in 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 KMC Homes is like. We would day one, you come to us with a greenfield site. Day one, we appoint an architect, we get him designing your house, right? But as he's designing, we've appointed a QS and we're costing the house at the same time. So eventually when you're signing off on the designs, you're also signing off on the the, the cost, the budget. 
so that bef- and this is all done before you lodge for planning permission. So at least when you lodge then, you know pretty much within a few percent how much you're going to cost to build. There's no yeah. big shock. Um, as I said earlier, some people come to us after planning permission, they have the drawings and they have a budget hope and sure look, we all know what happens there. So, so, so I suppose that is the benefit of the whole design and build approach, you know. Mm. All right, well, that's it, Kieran. I literally could stay here all day talking to you because you're extremely knowledgeable and I've really enjoyed having you as a guest. How do people get in contact with you? Uh, well, our website is kmchomes.ie and I'm on Instagram at Kieran KMC for any questions. Highly recommend giving Kieran a follow on Instagram um, as I have. He's very, I wouldn't say entertaining. Entertaining is not the word I would give him. I would say you are very informative and it's a it's a great, great page to follow. Kieran, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks very really much. Really enjoyed James. it and uh Hopefully we'll get you back down to East Cork soon enough. I look forward to it. <laughs>